This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, November the 21st, 2023. A couple of days before Thanksgiving, people hitting the roads today uh, in a big way. Uh, Rainy, stormy day down here in the southeast, hopefully uh, uh, you all are, are safe on the roads today. I know there are storms up and down the East Coast. They're supposed to get snow in Maine, <laughs> uh, New Hampshire, up to eight inches of snow. <laughs> I don't miss, you know, I mean, I grew up in New England. I, you know, I don't miss that. I'm coming up for a visit in a couple of weeks, but I, I am not looking forward to, uh, to that. Matter of fact, the last couple of times I went up there this time of year, it snowed. Just to remind me what it is, why I why, why I moved south. Uh, interesting uh, uh, night in sports last night. Some uh, overtime losses for some Boston teams. Um, the Monday night football game was entertaining. The weather certainly played a factor in that one. Rainy and windy probably held the score down a little bit lower than a lot of people would have thought. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles... Uh, beat the Chiefs last night, twenty-one to seventeen. Of course, the Eagles saying, uh, "Look, this had nothing to do with Super Bowl revenge." Uh, Nick Sirianni had a great comment. He says, "They're not going to get. They ain't going to give us the rings back." I know that. Um, but uh, the the Eagles come back to beat the Chiefs. The Eagles are now nine and one. They are the first team to win nine of their first ten games in back-to-back seasons since the Colts did it all the way back in 2005 and 2006. Um, It's the first time that they've beaten Andy Reid, their former coach, since he's been in Kansas City. So uh, they finally got that monkey off their backs. Neither quarterback, uh, especially Sharp last night. Uh, Jalen Hurts threw for 150 yards. Mahomes threw for 177. They each threw... Uh, an interception, but uh, Jalen Hurts does it with the legs. A couple of touchdowns. Uh, the uh, big tush push late uh, with 6.20 to go in the game, and the defense does a good job of putting pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they had a chance um, at the end of the game, uh, a big uh, play to pick up a first down and on fourth down, um, but then later they got Mahomes and a uh, – Intentional grounding call, so it was fourth and forever. Uh, But the big thing for Kansas City last night, and this is becoming a huge, huge problem, is the number of drops. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he's got to be frustrated as all hell. Um, Valdez Scantling dropped a ball last night that would have been a touchdown, 51-yard touchdown. He had it in his hands, went, and he just dropped it. Uh, there was another play uh, late in the game on on that big fourth down play after the intentional grounding play 
went right through the hands of the receiver, would have been a first down. I mean, it's just uh, they have they lead the league this year in drop balls, twenty six of them, and that's I mean that's got to be a concern for the Chiefs. I mean, you know, look, they're seven and three. I mean, nobody's feeling sorry for the Chiefs. They're still in position to probably have uh, the number one seed. Right now, they're a half a game behind Baltimore. And uh, as you heard Dan Zampano say when he was uh, on the air with us last Friday, that he believes that Baltimore, Kansas City, Philly, and San Francisco are the only legitimate uh teams with chances to make the Super Bowl. Now, we all have seen this year has been in, in, insanely crazy with the number of upsets and inconsistent play. So, you know, uh, they may be the four best. Doesn't mean they're going to be there because God knows what can happen. Look, the Eagles have a tough game coming up on Sunday. They have the Bills coming in. The Bills played more like the Bills you expected last week. We have to remember who they were playing, of course, but they played more like the Bills that, that – we expected they've got a new offensive coordinator we'll see if that makes a difference the Chiefs should have an easy game they have to go to Vegas they should be able to roll on Vegas um, but we'll see I mean but that was a, a good win last night for the Philadelphia Eagles and um, you know again I don't know whether if the wind and rain hadn't been there if it would have been a different outcome but you know what you play with the cards that you are dealt with uh, other NFL news the New York Jets have said, okay, we've seen enough of Zach Wilson. And Zach Wilson will not be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets this coming week against the Miami Dolphins. Um, Tim Boyle, uh, formerly of Xavier High School in Middletown, Connecticut. I, I, I called some of his games when he was uh, a high school player, just as I did uh, – um, for Will Levis, who is now the starting quarterback for Tennessee. How about that? A Catholic high school in Connecticut has produced two NFL quarterbacks. Now, Boyle's kicked around for a while. He's been with, uh, I think, four teams now in five NFL seasons. He was a backup for Aaron Rodgers in uh, Green Bay. He was supposed to be the third-string quarterback for the Jets this year, but then, of course, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. Uh, so he becomes the backup and I think the Jets have just had enough uh, with Zach Wilson. Um, Wilson has thrown for almost 2,000 yards, but he's thrown seven interceptions and only five touchdowns. He is 32nd in the NFL in completion percentage, and he's 30th in total quarterback rating. So he's about as bad as it gets. And so I don't think the Jets have any choice here. I don't think Tim Boyle is going to lead the Jets to a win against the Dolphins. Although the Jets' defense will probably keep them in the game, but you know, look, uh, uh, Robert Salah, the uh, head coach of the Jets, said, "Look, he liked what he saw when Boyle came in. That at least he was decisive, and he got rid of the ball." You know, uh, you know, and look, uh, you look at Boyle's numbers for his career: uh, <laughs> three touchdowns and nine interceptions. Uh, <laughs> In five seasons, uh, it doesn't uh, inspire a lot of confidence if you're a Jets fan. But, look, after seeing Zach Wilson as much as you have the last few years, Jet fans have seen enough, uh, and I think this is probably the right move. Um, and, look, uh, the Jets are not out of it. They're close to out of it. I mean, they're going to have to probably run the table to have a chance, and the chances of that are 
probably about the same as me growing hair again. Uh, but, you know, and, and Aaron Rodgers has said he is planning on coming back to play sometime in mid-December. Um, the, the, now, the question I would have is, is if the Jets are out of it, let's say they lose this week and they're 4-7, and seven, um, you know, and then they lose the following week. Um, I'm trying to remember who they play. I think they have Atlanta, which you would think would be a winnable game, and they've got Houston after that. Uh, but would Aaron Rodgers still bother coming back to play, or would he just say, you know what, at this point, why don't I just keep on with the rehab and come back strong for 2024? Uh, I think the Jets getting a victory uh, in the next couple of weeks is going to tell a lot about what Aaron Rodgers decides to do. But uh, it'll be Tim Boyle making his fourth career NFL start this week for the uh, New York Jets. Um, the NFL has suspended Kareem Jackson. Um, he was given the suspension for a illegal hit on Miami's, uh, uh, excuse me, on uh, Josh Dobbs, on Miami's Josh Dobbs. I'm spacing out here this morning. Um, and there was no flag thrown on the play, but it was helmet-to-helmet contact, caused a fumble, um, and after the play, Dobbs actually went to the medical tent, ended up coming right back out, went back out into the game. Um, but Jackson has a history, and that's the problem. You know, he's one of those guys that, you know, you he has a target on his back. He's been around for 14 years. <laughs> 14 years. Um, but... You know, he's already been suspended uh, a couple of times. And he has been suspended four games without pay. It's going to cost him almost 600 grand in lost paychecks. Um, the last time he was suspended, they they uh, cut it in half. I don't know that they're going to do that this time. This is just a guy that has uh, a history. And... Uh, even during the game when it happened, you know, they always have the – I think it was Terry McCauley that was doing the game uh, on television, and he even said at the time that he felt that there should have been a flag thrown on that play because of the uh, – you know, that he leads with the helmet. And the funny part was is that when Jackson came back from his, his suspension last week, he said he couldn't even guarantee he'd keep, uh, you know, uh, from getting in trouble again. Because he plays very aggressively. Well, <laughs> it took him all of one game. So uh, he will be uh, out for the, the Broncos. And look, that Broncos defense playing really well. You know, that Broncos team is very hot right now. They have themselves on the fringe of the playoffs in the AFC. It's going to be a tough road, you would think. Uh, it's going to be a tougher road in the AFC probably than it would be in the NFC because the NFC is just uh, a lot of mediocrity. But they've got a Cleveland team at home on Sunday in a winnable game. There's no question that's a winnable game. I mean, they're going with a backup quarterback, and, you know, yeah, they won last week, and yeah, they're 7-3, and three, but this isn't a 7-3 and three you can get too excited about, in my opinion. Uh, so that's a winnable game for Denver. Then they play, you know, look, then they've got, Three straight road games, Houston, the Chargers, and Detroit. And Houston is Houston has surprised a lot of people. The Chargers are a train wreck. 
I still am surprised, by the way, it's Tuesday morning at uh, 9.17 in the morning here on the East Coast, and Brendan Staley still has his job in San Diego. I'm still surprised by that. Uh, and then they have to play at Detroit, and, you know, uh, again, you would assume that will be a loss, but, you know, who knows? Who knows in this year's NFL? But anyway, uh, that's a game coming up this week that if the Broncos are serious about having a chance to make the playoffs, they've got to win. And look, you would say even if they win, okay, they're going to be 6-5. and five. How excited can you be? Well, look at it this way. Houston is just a game ahead of them. Pittsburgh is a game ahead of them. We saw that Pittsburgh offense is putrid. It's awful. You know, I don't care how good their defense is. If you can't score, you can't win. You know, and Kenny Pickett has been terrible. We talked about that yesterday. So you you can't have any confidence in them. Cleveland with, you know, with a backup quarterback going the rest of the way, you can't be too confident about that. So, and you look at Buffalo, they've been wildly inconsistent. So, it's not out of their own possibility if Denver keeps things going uh, that they could make it. Um, but uh, they're going to have to do it at least for the next couple of games uh, without Kareem Jackson. Uh, so that's it for the NFL news this week. Um, the Boston Celtics it, going into the game last night was a no-brainer, right? They're, they're going in. They're playing uh, uh, Carolina or Charlotte. Charlotte came into the game 3-9. and nine. No-brainer. Celtics win, right? Eh, thanks for playing. Celtics end up leaving North Carolina with a loss. They lose uh, in overtime, 121 to 118. Miles Bridges, who made his first uh, NBA start in two years, uh, hits a three-pointer with 6.6 seconds left, and it didn't matter that Jason Tatum scored 45 points. Uh, Charlotte with the win. And the Celtics, after winning six straight games, uh, fall to 11-3. and three. And they have the Milwaukee Bucks coming up next. And they've got the Philadelphia 76ers breathing down their neck in the Atlantic. We have a long way to go. This Celtics team is really, really good. But, you know, look, uh, Tatum had 45 last night, but he also missed a free throw uh, with five seconds left that would have tied the game. And then because, and because he missed that, the Celtics ended up fouling late in the game. Um, and uh, I think it was uh, – who would they foul? It was um, – geez, I can't remember who it was. Oh, yeah, Gordon Hayward. And then Hayward hits a couple of free throws, and, you know, it's a, it's a completely different end of the game. If Jason Tatum hits that free throw, uh, maybe things are a little bit different. But uh, uh, Sam Hauser started last night uh, for the Celtics, and uh, that was about as an ineffective 37 minutes as a starter can have. <laughs> Three points. Uh, in the starting role last night for the Celtics. He went one for nine. They were all threes. He was one for nine. Son, stop shooting. Good Lord. Good Lord. (laughs) But Tatum had 45, and uh, Porzingis had 17. But uh, the Celtics, look, they had a big lead in this game. Uh, They were up 18 in the second half. You just can't lose that game. You just can't. Uh, But a big uh, fourth quarter for Charlotte, and then they win in the overtime, 121-118. to 118. And now the Celtics will get to play the Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday. Uh, big game, obviously. Uh, that is probably their biggest competition to win the Eastern Conference and get to the NBA Finals. Uh, Giannis was unbelievable last night for Milwaukee. He played about as perfect a game as you can play. He missed three shots all night. He was 20 for 23 from the field last night. 20 
for 23. 42 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists, had a block, had a steal. Unbelievable. I mean, he is really, really dominant when he wants to be. And by the way, he is the perfect example of how you can be a dominant player in this league and not have to shoot everything from three-point range. You know, I mean, Jason Tatum had 45 last night, but he took 15 threes. He hit, you know, he hit seven of them, which is, you know, you shoot that percentage all year, you're happy as hell. But Giannis doesn't have to shoot threes. Uh, the only thing Giannis needs to learn to do better is maybe make his free throws. They only, that was the only chink in his armor last night was he went two for six from the free throw line. But they beat uh, Washington last night 142-129. to 129. Uh, Milwaukee now 10-4. and four. Uh, Celtics, as I said, 11-3. and three. We've got the Sixers at 10-3. and three. Uh, Those are really the top uh, three teams. You got talk about Miami if you want, but I, I think Miami's a fraud. You know, despite what they've done the last couple of years in the playoffs, I think they're a fraud. But that's, uh, uh, that is going to be a great matchup coming up on Wednesday night. Uh, if you are a Boston sports fan, it was a tough night. It was the Celtics losing overtime. Well, guess what? So did the Bruins. Uh, the Bruins lose 5-4. They give up the tying goal in this game in the third period with five seconds left. Steven Stamkos with a goal with five seconds left to tie it at four. And then Brandon Hagel, uh, 119 into the overtime, beats Jeremy Swayman, and Tampa comes away with the win on this one uh, by a final of 5-4. to four. Tough night for the Bruins. They had one goal leads a couple of times in this one uh, in the third period, and they couldn't hold it. Uh, so uh, that was a tough one. But, look, uh, on the positive side for the Bruins – They've still only lost one game this season in regulation. And, yeah, you know, that was a game that you felt that you had and, you know, you hate to lose, you know, in overtime. But they are 13-1-3 this year. 29 points. That is the most points in the NHL after, you know, setting a record for points in a season last year. They've continued it this year. Uh, They haven't lost in regulation at home. You know, the only loss has been on the road. And the good news is for uh, the Bruins, uh, they still managed to get a point despite the uh, the disappointing loss. They have one more road game. They have to play at Florida on Wednesday, and then they come home the day after Thanksgiving. They got back-to-back games this weekend. They're, they have Detroit at home, and uh, then they will play at the Rangers coming up on Saturday. But that was certainly a tough loss for the Bruins last night. It is 25 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 27 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, Breaking news just came in a few minutes ago. The Pittsburgh Steelers have fired their offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. We were just talking about how putrid that offense has been, and uh, the Steelers have decided to make the change, and Matt Canada has been fired. Look, at the end of the day, I don't know if Matt Canada is the problem. Um, I, I don't know that it really would matter who the offensive coordinator is. I'm not sure Kenny Pickett is the guy that should be running that offense. You could look at it at the same way that the Patriots are in terms of um, Mac Jones. Everybody thought that with Bill O'Brien coming in as the offensive coordinator, it was going 
to make a difference, right? That that he was going to quote unquote fix Mac Jones, right? Um, that did not happen, and it's you know it's become apparent that Mac Jones's time in New England is over. I don't see how they go forward with him. Matter of fact, Bill O'Brien in the press conference yesterday still hasn't committed. Uh, as to who the starting quarterback is going to be uh, this week. Now, it's not ultimately his decision, obviously. It's up to Bill Belichick. But the fact that they're even discussing that Bailey Zappi might be the starting quarterback in New England this weekend speaks volumes. You know, um, And I don't know that Pittsburgh's ready to bench Kenny Pickett, but at the same time, uh, I'm not sure that, that firing Matt Canada is going to fix it. I'm, if you're a Steeler fan... Uh, hope springs eternal because something's got to change. I mean, it's just been absolutely brutal. And look, and this is a big decision for Pittsburgh. They don't generally fire uh, coaches. But, you know, it's one of those things where the fans have been killing him. Uh, his own players have thrown Matt Canada under the bus more than once. Um, so I guess it's not completely shocking that they've done this, but it is something that is not the norm. Uh, in Pittsburgh, so something to keep an eye on going forward. And, you know, I I still think Kenny Pickett's a problem. And, look, I'm sure Kenny Pickett's a nice guy. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I'm not, uh, you know, but but uh, sometimes, uh, you know, being a great college quarterback at the University of Pittsburgh doesn't necessarily translate into being a great NFL quarterback, even if you are still in Pittsburgh. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that as the weeks go ahead and see if that really – if it moves the needle at all. Uh, I'm not optimistic that it did. It sure as hell didn't in New England, right? Uh, so uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it. So what I want to spend a little time with now, um, and I know that it's November and opening day isn't uh, for uh, about five months in Major League Baseball, but it's always a good time to talk baseball. Uh, and the Hall of Fame ballot uh, was announced yesterday for the uh, 2024 class, and. Um, the only real, to me, the only notable first-time people on the ballot uh, that are worth talking about are Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Chase Utley. Now, to me, the only no-brainer on this list is Adrian Beltre. You know, and it's hard to get in. In your first year of eligibility, it doesn't happen very often. But I'm going to tell you what. Adrian Beltre, to me, is a no-brainer first ballot Hall of Famer. Look, the guy hit 477 career home runs. He hit 286 for his career. But put all that aside, at the end of the day, he is one of the best third basemen in history. Um, let's put it in perspective. Um, I think the only two guys, and, and I have to, I have to find this. Hang on one second. There was a, a, a thing I saw that here it is. If, if you are into the new analytics and the new numbers, and, and this isn't necessarily analytics, it's just kind of a new way of valuing players, but that new, uh, thing that they have used uh, called WAR, which is wins above replacement, right? And it's basically 
uh, the number of wins a player adds to the team above what a replacement player would add, the average uh, replacement player, like a AAA guy or a guy that's you know a fringe major leaguer. Well, in Adrian Beltre's 21 seasons, his wins above replacement number is 93.5. Now, to put that in perspective, the only third baseman in history that have a wins above replacement number higher than Adrian Beltre are Mike Schmidt and Eddie Matthews, who are both in the Hall of Fame, who both were A, great uh, defensive third baseman, and B, could hit the crap out of the ball. That's Adrian Beltre. I mean, when he was – he spent one year in Boston. And I was so upset that they didn't figure out a way to keep him in Boston, I was beside myself. I mean, his one year in Boston, he hit 321, 28 homers, 102 runs batted in. Made the all-star team. He was ridiculous. His war for that one season was 7.8, which is – crazy for one season it was the second highest war that he had in his entire career the only one that was better was back in uh, uh 2004 when he was with the dodgers where he uh, began his career and that year he had 48 homers and drove in 121 uh while hitting 334 uh never won an mvp he finished second in the mvp balloting for the dodgers that year back in 2004 but if that isn't a first ballot hall of famer i don't know who is so that's a guy to me, just check him off because he's getting in. Um, and he would become the fifth uh, Dominican Hall of Famer. Uh, the only other ones from the Dominican Republic who were in there, of course, uh, Big Poppy, uh, Vlad Guerrero, Pedro Martinez, and Juan Marichal. But Adrian Beltre was a great, great third baseman. Defensive third baseman, one of the best, and could just mash. So... He's in, as far as I'm concerned. Now, the other two uh, guys who are first ballot guys are interesting. Um, Joe Maurer played 15 years in the major leagues. Ten of those were as a catcher. Um, and he had to be, he had so many concussions that it really affected um, his play and his numbers. When you look at uh, uh, from 2014 on, his last five years in the major leagues, um, he struggled. I mean, his batting average was down, uh, his production was down, and it was just a direct result of everything that happened to him, you know, the number of times he'd been hitting the coconut, you know, on, on swings and Whatnot. He ended he, those last five years. He still hit two seventy eight, um, but uh, he was no longer you know a guy that hits two seventy eight as a first baseman and and only hits uh, uh, like 20, 23 home runs over those five years. You know that's not uh, <laughs> that's not your prototypical first baseman. But what he did as a catcher, holy cow! Um, and this is and this is where. His candidacy for the Hall of Fame, to me, gets a little murky. You know, how do you figure that? And, you know, as a catcher, he hit 323, right? I mean, 
and and slugged uh, 469 at an 873 OPS as a catcher until the injuries and concussions started catching up to him. You look at those numbers and you go, Jesus. I mean, this guy is a Hall of Famer, but it's 10 years. But, you know, so that's going to be a tough one. You know, and if you look at his, you know, he still hit 306 for his career. And he won three gold gloves, three batting titles, four silver slugger awards. He was an all-star four times. Uh, He won the MVP in the American League in 2009. His war ranks seventh all-time among catchers. Now, you can really, you know, and that that's, again, this is where it gets murky. You say, well, it ranks seventh among catchers, but his last five years were first baseman, you know. But a lot of first basemen spend time at first base at the end of their careers. Um, you know, a, a Johnny Bench um, had to do it, right? Johnny Bench, as the uh, the years got on, had to make some concessions. And his last three seasons, he spent time at first. He spent time at third. Um, so, you know, it happens It happens to all of them. Yogi Berra, um, who was primarily a catcher uh, over his 19-year career, spent time in left field for a while. Um, so, but although he was primarily a catcher. But that's where Joe Maurer's uh, candidacy gets a little bit murky. If it were me, just just his catcher numbers alone for those 10 years, I think he gets in. I don't think he's going to get in on the first ballot, but that is the most difficult position to play in baseball, and it's not close. It's just not close. It is the most physically demanding uh, position in baseball, period. And the amount of punishment that your body and your knees take, the fact that somebody can do what he did offensively as a catcher for as long as he did is remarkable. Look, Johnny Bench was a great catcher, a great defensive catcher, probably one of the best ever. But Johnny Bench was a career 267 hitter. 267. Uh, Yogi Berra, as great as he was, was a career 285 hitter. Yogi Berra only hit over 300 once, or no, twice in his career. He did it actually a third time, but it was in his first year when he only had 23 at bat, so I'm not counting that. But he only hit over 300 twice, right? Uh, Joe Maurer... Did it seven times in ten years and won three batting titles. He hit 365 as a catcher in 2009. That is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. So I think he gets in. And, you know, you can say, okay, well, it was only ten years as a catcher. You know, how about this? You know, think about what Sandy Koufax did as a pitcher. Right? Generally, you know, guys have to have really long careers. Sandy Koufax 
essentially pitched for 10 years in Major League Baseball. He pitched for te- 12, but his first two years, he threw 41 innings one year and 58 innings a year after that. And even his third year, he only threw 100 innings. He was, his last six years in baseball were the best that probably any pitcher has ever had, right? And, you know, this is a guy that is kind of the gold standard for pitching. Think, look at these, look at his numbers sometime for just his last six years. And, and you can go farther back than that if you want to. But his last six years, he had an ERA at 2.19. And that's considering that the first of those six years, which was in 1961 when he won 18 games, he had an ERA of 3.52. That was his worst stretch during that time. He had an ERA of 2.19. He won 129 games in six years. He struck out 1,713 guys in 1,600 innings. Right? But – you know, people will and but people will look and say, but 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 longevity, longevity. You know what? Sometimes longevity doesn't matter. Sandy Koufax, for those last six years of his career, was the best pitcher in baseball. Joe Maurer, for those first ten years of his career, was the best catcher in baseball. Period. I don't care what you say. Uh, you can talk Pudge Rodriguez all you want. By the way, I hate that nickname. The only Pudge uh, in in my mind, uh, as far as uh, uh, baseball goes, is Carlton Fisk. He is the original Pudge. The fact that they call Ivan Rodriguez Pudge pisses me off. But Pudge Rodriguez, look, and, and again, he had 296. He had a longer career. Granted, I'll give you that. But he never won a batting title. You know, he never, uh, you know, had the dominance that Joe, or Ma- Joe Maurer had. And Joe Maurer and Pudge Rodriguez were in the league at the same time. Now, Pudge started earlier. He, he came into the league in 1991. Maurer didn't break into 2004. So it was towards the end of Rodriguez's career. So maybe I'm being a little bit unfair. But at the end of the day, for those 10 years, Maurer was the best. So I think he gets in. I think he has to. Um, the other intriguing case is Chase Utley. And to me, Chase Utley is going to go into the classification of the Hall of Very Good. You know, he is one of those guys that you can make the case, you know, there was a five-year stretch that he was as good a second baseman in baseball as there is. The problem is, you know, and, and, and here's where I make the, the, class, the dif- differentiation between him and Maurer. Maurer had that 10-year that stretch and the last five years were, you know, as a first baseman and the injuries had piled up. Chase Utley's five best years were between 2005 and 2009. So that encompassed five seasons. All right. The problem is he played 11 more seasons after that, and he wasn't that great. He was okay. He was an average shortstop uh, at best. And if you and if you use war as a comparison um, – after 2014, so from 2015 to 2018, he was below average. So he'll go into the category of Hall of Very Good. Look, those for, those five years, his best five years, he was great. There's, I mean, there's no other way to put it. He hit 305 over those five years with 115 homers, 414 runs batted in, had an OPS of 927. 
You know, he was uh, an all-star. But he was not – he was an average defensive second baseman. Never won a gold glove in his career. So he was dominant for five years, but he goes down into the uh, the hall of very good for me. So uh, so those are the three guys, I think, uh, that are the new guys on the ballot that really uh, – that move the needle at all. I mean, some of the other ones on there, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> Bartolo Colon's on the list. Which I think is hysterical, uh, you know. Uh, and you know what? If I, and I say it tongue in cheek. I say Bartolo Colon. Everybody laughs when you say his name, right? But Bartolo Colon, folks, uh, won two hundred and forty-seven games in the majors. So that's you know. Now he pitched for twenty-one years. So you can say, well, he was a compiler. You know, and, you know, he only won 20 games in a career twice, and although not the 20-game victories or, you know, 21 victories in a season is that big a deal anymore because uh, wins have been so devalued. He won 20 back in uh, 2002, and he won 21 in 2005. And, uh, you know, his last several seasons, uh, he was not very good. But, look, uh, <laughs> and he has one of the greatest home runs ever, you know. the uh, The greatest, one of the greatest calls ever, if you haven't seen it, uh, I'm sure you can find it probably on YouTube. Gary Cohn's call uh, of Bartolo's uh, home run for the New York Mets is absolutely hysterical. He basically, basically, the impossible has happened, and it was just hysterical. And he was loved by the fans, and he was a guy who early in his career uh, threw a million miles an hour, struck a lot of guys out, uh, but he's not getting in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Very Good, uh, the, or the Hall of Compilers, I guess. Um, but those are really the, the only uh, – uh, first ballot guys that I, you know those those three I think are really the only ones uh, worth talking about. I mean David Wright's on the list, Matt Holiday, those are guys to me. Um, you know Hall of Very Good, no question. You know maybe if if Wright doesn't get hurt, you know, and his career isn't cut short and his numbers aren't down because of the injuries, maybe he makes it. Uh, Holiday's a guy that, you know, look, he was made seven all-star games and uh, won a batting title with the Rockies. 299 career average, but he's just, to me, he's just short uh, of being a Hall of Fame caliber. Um, Adrian Gonzalez, a guy that could hit but was an absolute putz. Victor Martinez, Jose Batista, you know, those guys are just, you know, Hall of Very Good. That's that's where they're getting in. Now, the interesting case will be the returning guys. Um Todd Helton missed by 11 votes last year. I think Todd Helton gets in this year. I think he has to. Uh, Todd Helton belongs in the Hall of Fame. Look, uh, he's a 316 career hitter, right? 369 homers. He's got over 1,400 runs batted in, a 953 OPS for his career. Um, You know, the rap that he gets is that he played in Colorado. Look, you only play half your games in Colorado. And, how you know, in 2000, he had 372. You know, this is a guy, with the exception of his last couple of years, you could pencil him in for 300 every year. Not just 300. He was usually hitting somewhere between, you know, 320 and 350 every year. You know, he was a gold glove uh, first baseman, 
you know, and I'm tired of the whole Colorado uh, narrative. You don't play all if you if you played all 162 in Colorado. Okay, I'll buy that. But uh, believe me, he did plenty of damage on the road as well. So I think he gets in this year. The other guy that I think has gotten screwed. There's two guys that I actually think have gotten screwed, uh, but that I think belong in. I think Billy Wagner should get in. One of the most dominating relievers in history. Uh, you know, and and you know, as we know, relievers tend to get overlooked a lot in the Hall of Fame. There aren't that many in there. Uh, but Billy Wagner uh, was incredible. 422 saves in his career. Um, he is a guy that had an ERA of 2.3. He struck out 11.9 guys for every nine innings. Um, it's his ninth year on the ballot, so he's got this year and one more to get in. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he was as dominant as can be uh, in his, at his time with the uh, Houston Astros uh, and then later on uh, with the uh, the Phillies and the Mets. He saved uh, 40 games for the Mets in 2006. Uh, just a unbelievable reliever. So I, in, in my mind, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, hopefully he gets in this year. He was he was close last year. I mean, close. What did he get? I think he was uh, – uh, 50, oh, 60, yeah, 68% last year, so he'll need to make a little bit of a modest jump. Andrew Jones is one that has always surprised me. Now, he made a decent jump last year. He got up to 58% um, of the ballot, you know, and, and people will look and say, well, you know, unfortunately, I think they remember the Andrew Jones at the end of his career, and this is, and that's the problem. Um... 17 years, his last six years were bad. I mean, his last six years, he was a, a 214 hitter. That's the problem. And that's, you know, it's it's kind of a uh, recency bias, right? Uh, because he had 217, or 214 with 92 homers in his final uh, six seasons in the league. If you take those six seasons away, and, and I know that you have to take the career uh, in its totality, right? I, I get it. Uh, you can't you can't just forget the fact that he hit one you know 158 one year and you know 197 another year. I get that, but if you take a look at the seasons prior to that, from 1996 to 2006, this guy hit 342 home runs. Right, it, I mean he was unbelievable, thousand. And 23 runs batted in, was the best center fielder in baseball. Period. He was a great center fielder. You look at wins above replacement. I mean, he had a year where his, his WAR was was eight. Another year where it was seven and a half. I mean, he just and his defensive WAR was off the chart. So I think that's a guy uh, that belongs in. I don't know if he'll get in this year. Um, this is his seventh year on the ballot. He's got a couple more, but I I think he'll get in. It may not just uh, be this year. Other guys uh, that are still on the ballot, Gary Sheffield, don't think he's getting in. Uh, it's his last year. Uh, he's a long shot. 509 home runs, but uh, at this point he's not going to make it in. But if you look at his total numbers, again, uh, Hall of Very Good. Carlos Beltran's a guy that has an interesting case. It's only his second year. Guy with uh, 
2,700 hits, 435 home runs, a really good war, uh, up over 70. Uh, he's uh, he got 46 percent in his first year. Pretty good start. I think he's uh, I think he's got a chance to get in. But that's where we're at as far as the Hall of Fame ballot goes. I always love talking about this stuff. It's it's that's what's baseball's great. You know, they all the other you know they got the NFL Hall of Fame. They got everybody's got a Hall of Fame. No, there are no there are no better arguments. You know, and it's great. I love talking about this stuff because you can debate this until the cows come home. Um, uh, you know, and and it's difficult to try to compare eras. Uh, but man, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun looking at this one, and I and I hope I really do. I hope Todd Helton finally gets in, and and we can stop talking about oh Colorado, Colorado. That dude could hit. Uh, Zach Britton retired yesterday. Uh, former Yankee pitcher, also with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, eight year career. The uh, the injuries just got to him late, and uh, he hung it up. Uh, yesterday officially the UConn men's basketball team the defending national champions win the Empire Classic yesterday at Madison Square Garden they beat number 15 Texas uh, 81 to 71 Uh, Alex Caravan with 20 points and uh, Samson Johnson 15 points and eight rebounds to lead the way for the Huskies and they continue to play very very well in non-conference games the Huskies have now won 23 straight non-conference games uh, dating back to last season, including, by the way, um, six of them by double digits uh, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, UConn will uh, be off until Black Friday. They will play Manhattan. Former coach John Gallagher uh, from uh, the University of Hartford, now the coach at Manhattan, uh, and they will play Manhattan at 2 o'clock in the afternoon uh, on Friday. Uh, one other note, uh, the, the Tiger Woods uh, and Rory McIlroy golf league that they were putting together for Florida – uh, it's called uh, TGL, which stands for uh, Tomorrow's Golf League. They had a uh, uh, damage from a, a storm down there, damaged the arena, and it was one of those. Uh, uh, it was a it was a dome shaped thing, and I think a lot of it was held up by air. But because of a huge storm that came through, uh, there was been a lot of damage. They were scheduled to have their first match January 9th. Uh, they have now decided to postpone it to early 2025. They did that based on. Uh, uh, the cost of construction, or not the cost, the timeline for construction, the schedule for the players, uh, and, uh, of course, <laughs> the all-important uh, primetime sports television calendar because this is supposed to be something that's going to happen, like, I think on Monday or Tuesday nights in prime time, and it's going to be televised, which should be kind of cool. Uh, I love the idea, but uh, they've decided to, to put it off until 2025 so they can get everything uh, in line uh, for that, I, I just think it's going to be a lot of fun. By the way, Tiger Woods is going to tee it up again. Uh, he has announced that he is going to return uh, to the Heroes World Classic in December. He is the host of that tournament. Uh, he has played, um, or not played, he has been caddying for his son. He said the ankle feels good. It's not the ankle that he had the surgery on that's the problem. He said it's other parts of his body. But he is going to tee it up in December and uh, if all goes well, maybe that means we'll see a limited Tiger Woods schedule uh, coming up in 2024. Look, he's 47 years old. He's uh, being held together with Band-Aids and bailing wire. I don't know how much longer he's got left, but uh, I'm going to enjoy it every time he goes out there. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Uh, I think we are probably going to try to get Dan Zampano on tomorrow. Uh, he is going to be traveling um, 
on Thursday, and we weren't sure about Friday. So I think what we're probably going to do uh, is try to have him on on Wednesday. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But tentatively, we'll have Dan uh, coming up tomorrow. We're going to leave you this morning with some music from Dirks Bentley. Yesterday was his 48th birthday. This is one called Gone. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.